welcome to Bloody Marys, a queer horror movie podcast. This episode we'll be discussing us. I'm coming to get you, Barbara, Sean. <laughs> and I'm Johnny, who's here, Alex. <laughs> we are two queer horror nerds living together in uh, Hackney in London, and our pronouns are they, them. Uh, content note, as always, we'll be swearing, and of course, because it's a horror, there's violence and murder, um, and spoilers, and especially with this one, there's a like big twist reveal that we'll be going straight into from the get-go. So if you want to watch it, which you should, then do that, and then come back. So, Us had its world premiere at South by Southwest on March 8th, 2019. Also, my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you for that. Um, and was theatrically released in the United States. Theatrically <laughs> released <laughs> on March 22nd, 2019. Um, it was a critical and commercial success, grossing 25, nope, 255 million worldwide against a budget of 20 million and received praise for appeal screenplay and direction as well as musical score and Yongo's performance. Um, it grossed over 71 million um, in its opening weekend just in America, and that's the highest ever original for an original horror film, and the second highest for an original live action film after Avatar. Um, mm. So, yeah, surprising. Um, so, it did better than Get Out then? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I read about that, and it, it wasn't, that didn't do so well. I guess it's like people didn't really know what to expect with Get Out, did they? And then, like, when they'd seen that, they're like, oh, yes, I want more. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Jordan Peele gave the cast 11 horror films to watch. They have the same shared language um, when filming. Uh, those were Jaws, um, Dead Again, I haven't seen that, um, The Shining, The Babadook, um, <laughs> yeah, your favorite. Um, it follows, uh, Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, which we enjoyed very much. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, when we watched Funny Games, we said that there was an element of this yeah. about it. Um, Martyrs, uh, Let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense. Hmm. Uh, quite a good smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. Plus The Babadook. <laughs> also The <laughs> Um, so I thought it'd be best to do the summary of, like, what it's about in terms of quotes of other people, rather than me trying to sound smart. Mm-hmm. So, um... Monica Castillo, or Castillo, of uh, RobertEbert.com wrote that Us is another thrilling exploration of the past and oppression this country is still too afraid to bring that up. Peel wants us to talk and he's given the audience the material to think, to feel our way through some of the darker sides of human condition and the American experience. Um, Jordan Peel himself uh, said, One of the central themes of Us is that we can do a good job collectively of ignoring the ramifications of privilege. I think it's the idea that what we feel like we deserve comes, you know, at the expense of someone else's freedom or joy. He says, you know a lot, so that's not me, just, yeah. <laughs> you know, the biggest disservice we can do as a faction with a collective privilege like the United States is to presume that we deserve it, and that it isn't just luck that has us born where we're born. For us to have our privilege, someone suffers. That's where the tethered connection, I think, resonates the most is that those who suffer and those who prosper are two sides of the same coin. You can never forget that. We need to fight for the less fortunate. Um, mm. Yes. 
So I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of what the film's about. It's quite yeah. a good summary. And it makes sense that the writer and director would well, be able to do that. <laughs> you'd think so. You'd hope so. <laughs> um, so in terms of um, the film, it's basically like scattered with um, like foreshadowing and uh, recurring <laughs> imagery and like hidden meanings. It's like um, like the most Easter eggy film I've ever researched, actually, mm-hmm. out of the, the, the many that I have. <laughs> out of all four. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to go through them like section by section. Um, in terms of other films or shows, um, people said that the inspiration for us was the Twilight Zone episode Mirror Image that was centered on a young woman and her evil, evil doppelganger. Uh, obviously, then went on to do the reboot of the Twilight Zone. Um, uh, like the Lost Boys, uh, several key scenes take place on the Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk. Mm. Uh, this is even referenced when Adelaide's mother says, you know they're shooting a movie over there by the carousel. Ah. I didn't get that one. I no, I didn't. Um, also, Get Out is referenced as well. Uh, so apparently, I didn't see this, but Get Out is carved into the side of the entrance of the Hall of Mirrors. Um, and apparently Josh, uh, has tattoos. It's a pair of antlers, one on each arm. Um, which one's Josh? So that's the dad of the Tylers who we meet later on the beach. Uh, I didn't see any tattoos. I also didn't see any tattoos. This is, uh, Very Easter eggy. Yeah. <laughs> Very eggy. Um, another get out reference is one that I don't remember. Um, is the, uh, Wait, what, what's he got? What tattoos he got? Uh, antlers on his arms. That what's the reference to get out? Is it because there's some mounted on the wall? I guess so. that is niche. That is niche. Well, yeah, I don't know. Well, apparently it's uh, confirmed. It's it's also an Easter egg for Christmas because uh, of reindeers. And also <laughs> there was the sky in both films. Um, the sky is relevant. Um, apparently, there's also another another reference, which is another very niche one. Um, is that Jason is apparently eating a dry bowl of Fruit Loops um, at the Wilsons? Oh uh, no, at the Tyler's house. And apparently, there's a section in Gout, which I don't remember where the character eats Fruit Loops and drinks milk from segregated glasses. <laughs> um, That's so, a bit of a reach. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On to other films that it references. Um, there's a, VHA, a VHS pile um, by the TV at the very beginning of the thing. Um, and in it is uh, a man with two brains, which is obviously an example of mm. doubleness. The Goonies, which is obviously a thing about exploring underground sort of mm. worlds. Um, and uh, horror sci-fi movie Chud, or C-H-U-D, <laughs> uh, which is a story about like humanoid monsters who live underground, resurfacing to wreak havoc on New York City. Mm. What's the Jaws connection? Um... Do you know? Well, he's wearing a Jaws t-shirt. Like, like, yeah, one of them wears a Jaws t-shirt at one point. Um, and apparently there's a bit where you can see a fin in, like, what looks like a fin in the water, but I, I didn't notice that. For what purpose? I don't, I don't think, I, well, I think it was, but I mean, the films that he made him, what I made them watch, I think was more to just get a sense of a mood. No, I mean, what was the purpose to... of having a shark fin in... Oh, right, yeah, no idea. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jordan is a self-proclaimed fan of, uh, Kubrick's, uh, Shining. Um, you can see that referenced in the very beginning with the family driving through the forest and that being, like, panned down, up, like, from an aerial view. Mm-hmm. But actually, I, th- I think that's quite commonplace in films, like, horror films at the moment, specifically, when people, like... Yeah, but, like, the most way. iconic 
version of it is The Shining. Yeah. Um, also, apparently, the creepy twins are meant to be a reference to that with the way that they move and like uh, synchronicity. Synchronicity again, he's And apparently, Peel dressed as Jack Torrance uh, for the entire Us press tour. Um, what did he? What does Jack Torrance wear? Just like a shirt and trousers? Wow. That's real devotion. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they should have dressed as the old woman in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, these mouldy wabs. <laughs> uh, and the final one is a uh, reference to Friday the 13th, and it's because the son is obviously called Jason, and he wears mm. a mask all the way through. And so oh, yeah. So, yes, um, moving on to just the concept of duality and doubles. Um, Jordan Peele chose scissors because they're like a mundane household objects but can also cause severe bodily harm and also made up of two parts um, in the Wilson's toy closet that we see when they're playing. Guess who? Yes! Yes, I noticed that. Yes. I like good, that good moment. One. Thank yes. you. Also, did you notice the the, uh, the Hall of Mirrors under the name it says Find Yourself? Oh, um, did it? Yeah. I didn't notice that. <clears throat> Um, the song, which everyone will know from the film, is uh, Lunas, I Got Five on it. Um, it actually, the, it references, or well, five, got five on it references chipping in five dollars to buy a ten dollar bag of weed. So that's two guys chipping in to buy one whole bag of weed. Um, and... Did you, did you read the thing about the timing of that, of that song? No. So I, I only read this like halfway through the film. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's a bit where Lupita's character, Adelaide, Adelaide yeah. is like clicking along with that song in the car, uh, but she's slightly out of um, like rhythm, and she she makes some comment about him not being in time or something. But then she isn't either, oh. so it's kind of it's supposed to be like a hint that there's something not quite right with her. Oh, <clears throat> oh, that's interesting. Mm. That's not that didn't come up in my research. No. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, uh, and the, yeah, the final bit, which I find a bit strange, is um, the duality of because um, like Thriller is referenced. Obviously, she gets like a Thriller T-shirt, mm. and um, Peels talked about how like using Michael Jackson, um, with who's like seen as a hero, but obviously has this kind of dark, creepy side. And this is before the Neverland documentary came out, mm. so um, or during the same time. And he said that it added to it, but. I don't. I don't know if he would have chosen him had he known. Well, I mean, but I mean, if you're thinking about duality with Michael Jackson as well, there's the idea that he he very much passed as a black man and as a white man as well. Yeah. So I think oh, there's yeah. another element to that, and then there's the kind of childlike, adult-like kind of side to him as well. Yeah. I can see why, but isn't yeah. isn't that? But also in the thriller video, he literally becomes a different person. He becomes a zombie, doesn't he? he becomes a different person. Look, he is so smart, aren't you? Aww, Alex. <laughs> um, also, yeah. So I, 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 to sum up, I don't think it's just because he's a pedo. Um, I do. <laughs> um, but no, and also, like, um, the red jumpsuit and the single glove is meant to be, like, inspired by Michael Jackson. Oh, outfit. oh of course. Um, so, moving on to, uh, Jeremiah 11.11, or just 11.11 as it appears quite a lot through the film. Um, does it? Where else does it appear? 
Marshall, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Great, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> um, so the, to start with what the quote is in the Bible, it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. <laughs> I won't hearken. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. I won't hearken. <laughs> Please uh, hearken. I won't. <laughs> well, yes, uh, it's because apparently this section of the Bible talks about how a nation has forgotten God and its history. And God has decided to uh, give it over to destruction. Um, so basically asking for help despite the fact that they sort of brought upon themselves like a terrible misgiving. Uh, yes, well, just classic cheerful stuff from the Bible. Yes, um, and so God will not love them mercy. And it's basically uh, reaping what you say. Yeah. God is like, fuck you. Classic God. Yeah. Uh, also, have you heard of 11-11? This is a conversation area. Um, uh, before this, in terms of like it being like a sort of magical... Thing. Yes, but I also think I'm thinking of the convenience store chain 7-Eleven. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they are magical. And they are ubiquitous. <laughs> I went through a period of, this is me being superstitious, of noticing the time 11-11, and I googled it a long time ago, and it basically is meant to be an angel number, And it, but if you notice it over and over, then it means that you're in the, the presence of, like, uh, yeah, like uh, angelic or like spiritual beings. Could um, that be me? Yeah, that's you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for um, noticing my numbers everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I make a wish every time I notice eleven eleven. Yeah. Oh, you're a funny one, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you and your little things. <laughs> um, so yeah, and obviously we see in the film Jeremiah eleven eleven is written the sign from the spoopy guy at the beach who's young and then old. And then bleeding. Yeah, um, that's the, the classic trajectory. <laughs> yes. Um, also, Gabe is watching a uh, baseball game on the TV, and the announcer says that the game is tied at 11 11. Um, mm. um, one of the teams, Minnesota's team, is called the Twins. Um, when um, Adelaide, oh, it's referred to as Addy, um, and Jason are talking in his room. Uh, the clock, he points to the clock and it's, it's showing 11-11. Um, these ones are more like, uh, you notice this actually about the Black Flag t-shirt, but I, I find these ones a bit kind of like strange in terms of the stretch, but um, the carnival worker that you mm. notice when he's playing whack-a-mole um, is wearing a Black Flag t-shirt and also one of the twins wears one later. Mm. And uh, it's pointed out that the band's logo is made up of four columns, so it's like 11-11 as well. Oh, um, and uh, the last 11-11 uh, that I know of, <laughs> there's probably more, um, is on top of the ambulance at the end that they drive away and they pan up and it's got 11-11 on top of it. Ah. Um, so yeah, finally onto the Hands Across America, which was actually a real thing. I hadn't heard of it before this one, but yeah. No, same. Um, so it was like obviously the idea was that they were just going to get people to hold hands across America to raise money for charity, but um, ultimately only about fifteen million went to charity when they targeted about fifty million. Um, and uh, the leader of a homelessness advocacy group told the New York Times at the time that um, the organisers spent too much time, uh, too much, oh, sorry, spent too much to raise too little in promotion of national extravaganza empty of content. Um, uh-huh. 
and um, and as many I think pieces notice, us uh, draws a parallel between the overpromise of hands across America and society's tendency to ignore inequality, um, even when it's right under their privileged stinking noses. Mm. Or maybe that it overlooks it while performing these kind of hollow, empty gestures to recognise it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> So, yeah, that was all of my stuff in terms of uh, research. That's a lot to unpick. That's a lot. So, the beginning of the film, we open on uh, some stats about underground tunnels. Uh, Apparently there's loads and nobody knows what they're for, mostly. Um, then it moves on to opening on to a TV set without any context, actually. Um, but you can tell it's kind of the 80s and it's showing an advert for Hands Across America, like a real advert. Um, uh, with the VHSs that I mentioned previously scattered around. Um, and then it cuts from the Hands Across America to an advert for uh, Santa Cruz Boardwalk. Um, and the moment it does it, also it immediately cuts to the family um, with a little baby. Adelaide and her parents at the boardwalk, um, and the dad, I don't know his name actually, um, da- da- daddy, daddy Adelaide, um, <coughs> da- Adelaide, Adelaide, and Marmalade, and Adelaide. <laughs> um, yeah, so dad wins a prize and uh, she chooses 11, which I just noticed the prize 11, oh, yeah. um, which is a Mithrilla t shirt, and then. Um, the mum's like having a go at him. Um, yeah, they obviously have a bit of a dysfunctional relationship, the parents. Yeah, and I thought that was sort of like more obvious than my first time I watched it. It seemed like he was like a real drinker, but it's, he only mentions his getting like one more beer and she's like, yeah. yeah. He kind of swaggers a bit though. Yeah, he does a little bit of a swagger. Um, and then, um, she needs a toilet, um, and he's playing whack a mole, and, um, which I thought also was another maybe reference to, Keeping things underground and hitting them on the head. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, everything could be, really. I, these know. Easter eggs. Easter eggy. <laughs> um, uh, so, so yeah, so anyway, so Adelaide uh, uh, wanders across the boardwalk um, and enters the fun house by herself while her dad's playing whack-a-mole and mum's having a wee. Um, or a poo. She's gone 15 minutes. Or a poo. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or a puke. <laughs> Um, and uh, she goes into the, the fun house and encounters a scary owl um, mm. and also lots of mirrors um, and um, she gets a bit spooked uh, the lights go out and then she's like wandering around and she sees uh, the back of her own head essentially mm. um, and she does this kind of silent screamy bulgy eyes like arg face mm. Um so then it cuts immediately to the opening credits, which is just a load of rabbits and some strange singing. Um, in terms of the rabbits, there wasn't apparently any significance other than Jordan thinks they're spooky and weird. Mm. And reference watershed down, actually, which I can see with the evil rabbits and that. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess, just having caged animals just... underground with the kind of people who are trapped there. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's so true. <laughs> um, so, uh, so then cut to modern day, um, and um, she's uh, grown up, and she's with her husband Gabe and her family, uh, Zora and Jason. Um, Gabe wants to go to the beach, and when she realises that it's Santa Cruz, she's like, oh, I don't really want to go. Blah, 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 blah. Um, 
But then uh, Gabe's like, come on. Um, and then they go to the beach. Is it, at this point, do we see the, 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 the other flashback where she is in the waiting room of like a child psychologist or something? No, that comes <laughs> up shortly, actually. Um, oh, no, it is now. You're right. That's the next note. Um, so she's like playing with some like little toys in the waiting room or something. Yeah. And she's actually lining up, I just remember, she's lining up, like, animals on a big line. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, aren't we clever? Yeah. <laughs> it's so smart all the time. It's, so <laughs> um. it, it's so hard having nothing to learn, because we just know everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they're in the therapist's office, she's little, and she's there just like, no, we don't know what happened to her, she walked off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right, if she's only gone 15 minutes, we yeah. just want our daughter back, blah, blah. And, and also the psychologist, or whoever it is, says, um, you know, if she's not going to tell you a story, then get her to draw, or dance, or sing, or do something to express and tell a story in her own way. Yes. Which foreshadowing. And I should have one that says that's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then cut back to them. They're driving to the beach. Um, each, let's go get away. That's Nicki Minaj. Don't know if you know. Her. I don't. I, I mean, I know her, but I don't know. Okay. Haven't delved um, as deep into her back catalogue as you have. Delicious. <laughs> um, anyway, so they're driving to the beach, um, and um, they're having some banter. At this point, the, the little boy says, "Maybe you can kiss my anus." <laughs> <laughs> And then and they're like, why are you saying that? Where did you learn that? And they're gross. And the dad's like, why are we talking about anuses? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then yeah, the other dad then says, like, we don't always have to be talking, actually. Um, <laughs> like as well. They're also like a, a, a kind of a very sweet family who yeah. um, seem like very functional. Like they, they don't have any, like their arguments that they have are kind of quite minor and normal. Yeah. And they're all really sweet. And they also which I really love, is that they all play, like, a really strong role in their survival. It's not just, like, one person. Like, the kids take part in, like, killing the baddies as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, and it's... Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, So so then he puts on I Got Five on it, and they all do a little dance into it and loving it. Um, Then cuts them meeting up with their friends at the beach each. Let's go get away. Kitty uh, is at the beach, who's I think maybe one of my favourite characters in terms of hilarity. Yeah, she's funny. Um, is like sitting like looking really glamorous at the beach, um, and uh, she's like, "This rosé is delicious." <laughs> so she's just like, "Just had a little work done, isn't it beautiful?" <laughs> oh, and uh, Adelaide says, "Yeah, you look just the same as you did last year." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I wonder when she says, uh, when she says like, oh, I, you know, it's, it was just a tiny bit of work, but it's made all the difference. I mean, obviously you don't need to, uh, to do anything. I wonder yeah. if there's a bit of microaggression in there. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering that as well. Um, so yeah. We should say the Tyler family are white. Oh yes. Tyler family are white. Um, yes. Um, the husband's a dick. Oh yeah, he's really annoying. He's like a sort of a classic kind of blokey, jokey, nonsense merchant. Ugh, nonsense merchant. <laughs> he he does trade in nonsense. <laughs> 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 Prefer. 
professional. He's yeah, he's just got like shit jokes and like yeah, an awful dressing gown. Goofy. Yeah. Um, just classic awful dressing gown and shit jokes. Goofing around. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he's taking the piss out of Gabe because he's got a boat and he's like, is it a dinghy, mate? <laughs> um, and then he's like, like, but you haven't got a flair, have you? Which comes up later. Actually. Yes. Um, so, uh, so then a frisbee comes and lands perfectly on a circle on the towel. And Kitty goes, there's been so many coincidences recently. It's strange. Um, at the beach also, uh, Jason, uh, is, goes to the loo. Um, and there's a man standing with his arms outstretched with blood dripping from one hand. Um, who we don't know who that is at the moment, but we do find out later. We do. Um, um, but I think you can kind of blink and miss it, though. Yeah. Um, because I don't even remember that from when we saw it in the cinema, that mm-hmm. him seeing that guy with the drippy bloody hand. Drippy bloody hood. But um, he also encounters him in the same way that uh, Adelaide initially encounters her double, which is just from behind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he draws a picture that sort of mirrors the way that she encounters the yeah. doppelganger. Later that same evening. There's also a point here where there's a sort of mild reference to um, there being something unusual about Jason, um, where the twins are like, your brother's weird, what's wrong with him? Um, and I think, what is, yeah, like, Zora says something like, oh, it just takes him a while to get things or something. Yeah, something like that. and I wonder if because, so the presumption there is that he's kind of, neuroatypical. Yeah. And because the the uh the tethered are kind of like exaggerated versions of them maybe. Yeah. That's why uh his is maybe it's like completely nonverbal. Yeah. Um Yeah it's... I, I don't know, but because there's also I've read this and I can see why you would think that, but I didn't necessarily I think it's a bit of a red herring. But there's also the theory that Jason also switches. Oh. But it doesn't stand up to no. scrutiny because his tethered has a severely burnt face. face. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do think I do think it's intentional to try and make you think that that could have potentially happened. Yeah, I, yeah, especially if you think at the end the the kind of knowingness that happens between mother and that's son. True. I thought it was like him looking scared. Anyway, but yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, so that's their experience on the beach. Oh, well, while Jason's gone, um, uh, Adelaide freaks out and finds him, but then they just go home. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing more on the beach there, thank you. Um, so um, so they're all back at the house, and Abigail just starts freaking out to her husband, um, just saying they really need to leave, and that she feels like there's a black cloud hanging over me, and I don't feel like myself. Um, and she tells a story about her seeing a doppelganger, um, and it actually flashes back, and this time you see her turning around in the flashback. Um, she says, My whole life I feel like she's coming to get me. There's so many coincidences, I feel like it means she's getting closer. Um, so, yeah, she's she's right, of course. Well, yes. Yes. And um, he's doing the classic uh, man thing in horror. I which believe is... that you believe. <laughs> that is what's but, but I also don't believe. I am <laughs> sorry for your belief. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so then, um, it, then that night they spot like a family all dressed up in the, in the driveway, dressed up in the driveway. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> the band. <laughs> um, Sounds like a Morrissey song. <laughs> we were dressed up in the driveway. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So, like, Gabe is being weirdly senseless when to be like, no, oh, I'm going to go and talk to them. They just seem like people. Um, but like, I, I think this is actually a really clever moment because I think if it was just adults or a group of men, I think maybe he would instantly be like, okay, let's call the police. But it's a family and it's just like, well, you know, it's like two kids and a nice. dad and a mum. So it, I think there's an element of like, surely they can't be a threatening force because they're a family. Yes. And I think there's a lot in this about like, I don't know, these are unformed thoughts, but I think there's a lot about the nuclear family in this that mm. I think is a theme that I don't quite understand fully. Just thinking about the first time you meet the family, the yeah. the, the real life family, you see the little kind of stencil on the back window of their car that's like mother, father, two children. And that mirror is actually the way they start <laughs> the driveway as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is something about that. Mm. I, I, I don't know what it is though. Just something. Yeah, just something. Just we'll just, just leave. Something. We'll just leave that with you yeah. there. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Gabe's trying to be all sensible, um, and uh, Adelaide's getting all freaked out and tries to call the police. Um, then he goes out with a baseball bat, um, and they all like scatter off in different directions. I love um, that bit. Like, so she does like a little click or something, yeah, doesn't she? Like, and then they all. It's all about like clicks and like noises and stuff mm. that she makes that sort of like commands them to do the things that they do. This, yeah, it's kind of the, the way that they suddenly like, pew, like yeah, it's amazing. Um, so they all. Uh, what happens after that? Yeah. So they kind of surround, they try and lock down in the house. Yeah, but it doesn't work, and basically all of them break into the house. Well, and also because. Uh, Adelaide's double, Red, yes. uh, finds the spare key in the rock. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, she's got the spare key. And uh, Gabe is just like, what kind of white shit is that? <laughs> um, and so they all kind of get backed into the lounge and like the whole family. And then, um, and then Red finally kind of enters at this point in this kind of really like sort of, uh, I don't know, like robotic fashion. It's like a, like a like sort of like a lines. computer ca- game character. Kind yeah, of. It's, it's amazing. Um, and they all sit down opposite each other and then they kind of... I, I wonder if the, her movement in that sense is because she's kind of... The tethered people have had to kind of break free from following the exact route that their humans have taken. So it's almost as if she's like learning to walk of her own kind of... Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they're I all guess, learning to move independently. And I guess they're kind of like, their world is all kind of right angles and like yeah, straight yeah. corridors. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also the... Um, so uh, what is the name? Pluto. Is Pluto the name of the... That's the name of the, Jason's, Jason's double. Jason's double. Yeah. So he lights the fire. And then there's the kind of parallel going between the trick that Jason can't do, which is some sort of like lighter thing. Yeah. And the fact that he can seemingly light fire at will. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, they, they all sit down opposite each other and then they realise they're all doppelgangers. Um, uh, the, the names of each I'll go through. So Pluto is Jason's double who behaves akin to a feral dog, um, growling on all fours. Um, I is it like Pluto the dog? Yeah, it's must dog. Be. Um, Umbre, who's uh, Zora's double, who um, has this kind of like weird, static, sadistic smile on her face. I think she might be the scariest one of them all, actually. Yeah, it's just because she's like so fast as well. Yeah. Um, Abraham, who's Gabe's double, who just can only groan, who's kind of like a grunting giant sort of man. Um, and they're led by Red, who's obviously. Um, uh, Adele's double, who talks in a raspy and stunted Adele's manner. double? Adelaide's <laughs> double. Like, no, never mind, she found someone just like her. 
Never mind. <laughs> 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 That's a good impression. I'll, I'll do the rest of it like her. Uh, so, the only one who can talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she's yeah. um, It explains that the are all called the Tethered and they share a stol- uh, soul with their counterparts. Um, and they've come to untether themselves. Uh, um, and basically she tells a story about like a girl who grows up loved and happy and a shadow version who grows up sad and unhappy. That's a, such a great monologue, that. Yeah, that is really good, actually. Um, like, I love the bit where she's talking about the soft toys and then she has only sharp toys that cut or something. Yeah, it's they really c- cook, uh, cut her fingers when she tries to play with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, and then this, this is a bit just at this point where Gabe just goes like, who are you people? And Rip goes, we're Americans. Mm. <laughs> um, so at this point, the family's all kind of separated by the doppelgangers, and Red makes Adelaide handcuff herself to a table, um, and Zora is pursued by her double ombre. <laughs> ombre? Ombre. I don't know how you say it. Anyway, I don't think it's ever said out loud, actually. Ombre. I th- she just when she's, she initially is saying, like, um, and you had your child and I had Ombre. And... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Gabe... Oh, and Ombre was born laughing. I love that detail. Uh, Um, So the fact, yeah, yeah. So then um, Gabe is pursued uh, by Abraham and Jason is sent to play uh, with Pluto. Um, And uh, yeah, she... um, So um, during this time, um, Zora escapes Umbre while uh, she basically kills a neighbour who just comes up to tell her off for standing on the car. Um, uh, Gabe kills Abraham while they're having nautical romps on his boat. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Jason discovers that Pluto mirrors his actions um, in the bed. Actually, this is the bit where you sort of see his face, uh, like mm-hmm. his disfigurement, where he basically mirrors it to take off the mask and put on the mask. Um, and so he uses that to trick him to lock him in the cupboard. Um, and then Red is drawn away by Pluto's cries at this point, um, allowing Adelaide to break free. Um, and the family all magically regroups at the dock um, and uh, escape on the boat. Um, and at this point, you see all the doppelgangers, well, except for the dad, who's dead, um, come down to the dock to watch them leaving. And you see Umbro sprinting in the background in the same direction as the boat. It's like... Ah. Um, so yeah, meanwhile, the, the Tyler family, um, are attacked by their tethered. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Kitty's like on the floor crawling along. It's like, Ophelia, which is their version of, a, a, what is it, Alexa. Mm. Um, it's like, call the police. And it's say, like, now playing, fuck the police. <laughs> yeah, it's good. good. Um, <clears throat> also, that family are like kind of the polar opposite of, the uh what's the name of the main family? Their surname. I don't Do we have know. it? Oh anyway, the the main Wilson's, family. I think it is. Um the um they they seem like really dysfunctional, really kind of like uh like kind of spoilt, um kind of quite lavish and flaunting their wealth a bit. And they the couple are always arguing. The girls seem really like snooty, snooty and yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah, they don't seem very happy as a family. Mm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, the, the, their tethered does a quick job of killing them all quite mm. quickly. Um, and the Wilsons, um, mm. arrive. 
um, and then very quickly gets separated by all the different uh, tethered, um, and uh, the dad gets chased back down to the boat. <laughs> Um, and uh, very slowly um. yes. <laughs> very limply <laughs> yeah. um, and you don't see the death of the, the Tyler's dad but it happens on the boat and it's something to do with the flare which obviously came up earlier mm. the bitch do you even have a flare well eat, eat a flare yeah bitch <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah the twins drag away the mum um, and the kids I don't know where they they are, but anyway, they they go upstairs to try and find. What's so that they're, they're they're initially waiting outside while she goes in, oh. and she goes in first. Oh yeah, she gets snitched by the twins. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so then they they go in to try and find her. They do like a really good job actually. He picks a, a the what was his name? Jason picks up a really big rock, and she gets a golf club. And then they go up the stairs and they're like, she does a good job of closing the doors behind her once mm. she passes. And I thought that was like quite a good detail for mm. a horror film. Um, and um, then you see the twins are like all kind of like dead on the floor, the original twins. And the tethered twins are like sort of cartwheeling all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> which, like... and I only realised this upon this watch, which was the... Um, this watch, which was. This yeah. which watch, which was. <laughs> um, the... Um, Earlier, you saw one of the twins cartwheeling on the beach. So it was kind of a throwback to that. Yes. So then they just kind of, like, kill them quite easily, really, actually, the twins. They, like... Well... Well, actually, do they, though? Because one of them gets hit with something in the neck. It looks like that. And then goes flying off the balcony. Maybe that was just the golf club swinging around. Like, because I couldn't understand what else it would be. It did look like something came flying through the sky. Yeah, unless it was... uh... No. Unless, well, it could have been Adelaide throwing something from the bedroom, couldn't it? No, that's too weird. She was, like, way away. (laughs) Was she? Yeah, so maybe she hit with a golf club, but it happened very fast, so she just went flying off the balcony and landed through a table. Yeah, so okay, you're dead. But actually, she isn't. No, she isn't. Um, But then, yeah, the second twin then comes and does a little uh, romper room fuckery. Um, Yeah, little headstand thing. Yeah, and uh, then she gets killed quite quickly as well. But quite briefly by this, by, uh, what's her name, Zora? Zora, yeah, she really goes to town, smushing her head in. Yeah, and then Jason just, like, wanders back and has a little look and then they walk off together. That would be me. It's like, I do want to have a little look at what's left here. Um, Then we cut to, I guess, a meanwhile... uh, with Kitty's uh, doppelganger, who's um, doing this amazing bit in the in her like vanity mirror, oh, where yeah. she's putting on this shimmery kind of pink lip gloss and like pouting and doing this really like weird like creepy performative like beauty moment where she's she's like a really like hysterical fake smile like you'd see in like a magazine or something, um, and then she like cuts the sides of her face, which. Um, yeah, as a reference back to the work that she had done on the beach, I guess. Mm. Um, then, I can't remember, like, the so, events, like... So Zora comes in, uh, creeps up behind her with the golf oh, club, yeah. but she turns around and grabs it, and then kind of forces her onto the bed, and Adelaide is still handcuffed to the bottom of the bed, yeah. and is desperately trying to get up to help her. And then Jason But just... then, yeah, with that kind of, like, uh, crystal-y... Statue thing. a crystal swamp. A crystal swamp, um, right on, on and, the head. Um, and yeah, so that's that's her done for. Um, so then they go back downstairs. The generator's working, obviously, at this place, so they put the TV on, and they see that, um, that basically there's been tethered murders all over the United States. 
um, starting at the, well, a lot of people talking about the beach as well. Um, like, Abigail's like, we need to escape to Mexico. And uh, Gabe's like, what? Abigail. Adelaide. Oh, yeah. Abigail. <laughs> she's had a different, yeah, she's had a different name Alex. every time. <laughs> she's now Alex, which is me. Um, and, um, and then Aberyst with, uh, <laughs> she suggests they go to Wales. <laughs> anyway, Adelaide suggests they go to Wales, no, to, to Mexico. And Gabe's like, why? We have everything we need here. And then she just like gestures to the, all the dead bodies. Um, and <laughs> said, so tell it to Kitty. Um, and there's some jokes about micro-machines and Home Alone at this juncture. Yeah, that's good. Um, uh, so then um, Zora actually ends up driving the family car. Well, she, I think it's the Tyler's car. Um, yeah, it's away. the fancy one they were boasting about earlier. Yeah. Um, so they're just like, she convinces them she needs to drive because everyone else is injured. Um, and, um, and they also have like a little funny argument about who's killed the most people oh, so yeah. far. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, but I'd say actually the dad's kills were pretty lame. But he did get beaten up pretty badly. Anyway. Well, I mean, that's not really <laughs> what they should be discussing <laughs> either way. I think it is. <laughs> um, so anyway, so then Zora drives and then they see um, Ombre just like standing, um, just like, gotta get them. Um, and there's like an amazing bit where she's just like basically tries to run over and she just like scurries onto the roof of the car. Um, and then... Um, yeah, she finally then just like speeds up again and then sprays suddenly and she just flies off into mm. the trees. <laughs> and um, it's, I think there's something really lovely about how Adelaide has these really tender moments with both of the kids' doubles. Yeah. Because she walks, she gets out of the car and the dad's just like, well, well I guess she's getting out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> and goes and, uh, uh, Umbre is kind of like stuck in a tree kind of like dying yeah. and like kind of still laughing and trying to grab her and she's like um, she's moving away from her but she's not trying to yeah and she's trying to like comfort her she's like going shush, shush yeah shush, shush. it's like and she has a similar tender moment with uh, Pluto later on yeah that's right um, which is coming up shortly actually so um Actually, they must have been driving all night because it's suddenly daylight um, when they get to... <laughs> well, I think so. we can assume that all of this took a, a long time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it seemed like they were quite close to the beach. Anyway, whatever. Um, so um, so they arrive at the seafront, uh, the Santa Cruz boardwalk area, um, and they find uh, that the road's blocked by their own car, which has been set on fire, and immediately Jason's like... So Jason's like, oh my god, that's <laughs> Pluto, uh, for sure sees, uh, I guess because he knows that's fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you actually see him. Um, and at this point, Adelaide gets out of the car, actually, and tries to, like, I don't know what she's trying to do, like, be nice to him again, like she did with... Uh, well, I wonder if it's Laura. this kind of, like, maternal instincty thing with these people that otherwise resemble her children. Yeah. Um, and um, at this point... Um, Jason takes advantage of uh, Pluto's nature of uh, basically mimicry uh, with him and walks backwards uh, to make him walk into the fiery car. Uh, I think that's one of the most beautiful scenes. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, she's like, no! Well, to be fair, she probably could have picked him up. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but also at this point, um, Red is hiding behind a car and uh, yoinks uh, Jason. Mm, a very quick yoink. A quick yoink and disappears. Um, so, uh, cut to um, 
Adelaide returning to the fun house, I guess, to try and find Jason. She sees on the beach oh, the line of tethered all holding hands into the sea, including the man with the bloody hands. Yes, who was the Jeremiah Signs guy. Because we saw him in an ambulance earlier, which we perhaps didn't mention. So he's obviously already attacked his... been attacked by his doppelganger, who's now part of the... Part of the whole shebang, the whole, the whole, the whole show. Mm. Um, so she goes in to the hall of mirrors and finds secret tunnels that lead down, 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 including an escalator um, down into an underground facility overrun with rabbits. Um, and she goes into a classroom where she finds Red. Um, Red explains that the tethered are clones created by the government to control their counterparts on the surface. When the experiment failed, the tethered were abandoned underground for generations, um, mindlessly copying the actions of their counterparts until Red organised them to escape and take revenge. Um, at this point, you can see, like, uh, she's, while she's talking about it, like a recreation of all the tethered recreating the rides mm. and things, like from the day that Adelaide first went to the beach, each, let's go get away. Um, and, um, and it, yeah, and like all these different bits, like, where they're just like, yeah, they all look kind of like demented versions of, like, what they're all doing above ground, mm. essentially. Um, and, yeah, um, and she talks about, how yeah when she when she recreated the sort of the ballet uh, dance that um, that she did uh, above ground that that was when they realized that she was different from the rest of them um, it also suggests that that both of them felt some sort of connection while that was happening because yeah. she gave up dancing when she was 14 that's true. and it's refer- so you presume that that's her final dance because she felt some sort of connection there with the other one yeah, um, yeah, so then, um, and then she's just like, um, I needed to make a statement that, uh, that the, the whole world will see that it's our time now. Um, and then they, they, it's like, she, they start fighting essentially. This is like a really amazing, drawn out fight scene mm. with the orchestral version of I've Got Five on it playing. Um, and yeah, it's so, I think this is my favorite scene in the film actually, that fight. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. And it's kind of interspliced with um, with the ballet yeah. as well. Yeah, and it's just it's like they're doing some kind of like intricate kind of violent dance. Essentially, mm. like. it reminds me of two things. One is the Matrix, just the way yeah. that she can compl- like constantly kind of because obviously she's spent a whole lifetime mimicking the actions. Yeah, so she knows her better than she knows herself, so she can kind of avoid her. But it also really reminds me of um, you know in Kill Bill Two when Pai Mei is training. Uh, oh. Uh, Beatrix Kiddo yeah. and he does that thing where he's got his hands behind his back but he just keeps like swerving out of her way yeah, 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 yeah. it really really reminds me of that bit too but it's so beautifully done yeah I think you're going to reference the Spiria then actually but um, with the dancing but, um, yeah but I... yeah um, but yeah, no, it's re- it's a really beautiful scene. The music really kind of like makes it kind of crazy, impactful. Mm. It's, yeah, it's all our fun. Um, it's kind of sad almost when she finally then actually um, like Red moves to the final stab and Adelaide impales her with the the poker that she's been carrying around since the house actually, mm. um, and then breaks her neck with the um, with her handcuffs around her neck. Yeah, it's quite a gruesome but like intimate death yeah. and also they're kind of um 
they end up kind of tethered to each other, like, uh, in a very literal way at the yeah, end. Because like, she kind of has to struggle to get loose from her once she's broken true. her neck. Yeah, it's a bit, it does look very kind of intimate, though, like, holding each other almost while she's on the floor, like that. Um... And it, at this point, I don't know if you agree, but it seems that some, she's, she seems kind of changed. She does this kind of like weird like scream um, and then makes some sort of noises that sound a bit similar to some of the kind of tethered noises. Um, and then just this kind of like sort of weird laugh, obviously. It's just like a, probably it could either just be a combination of the relief of like... Well, but uh, well, I think to an extent there's been a shift happening for a while before that point. I don't think it's immediate because I think... Um, one bit that we didn't mention actually is when, when it seems like they've killed all of the Tylers, uh, Adelaide returns to the house to get the keys, oh, yeah, and then yeah. ends up killing the 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 young the one of the twins who'd gone off the balcony yeah, who yeah. we'd assumed was dead. And she, while she's doing it, she's making these kind of like breathy uh, kind of like yeah, and she's doing well. these very animally noises. And that is the first moment where you see this fracture in her relationship with Jason. And yeah, that's Jason is the one that catches her. That's, yeah, that's and looks really like disturbed by it. Yeah. So my my reading of this, the whole Jason thing, is that Jason either has an inkling that this switch has already happened, or that when he met with the guy when he met the guy with the bloody hand earlier mm. he had some sort of insight into what had happened from him yeah actually now I'm thinking about it, some of the some of the sort of readings of the films just that Jason has more of a powerful connection with the tethered um, uh, than is sort of like than the rest of them do and that's obviously shown with the connection with Pluto and being able to make him walk into the mm. fire um, whereas the others don't have that power um, I wonder if that's something to do with his inability to focus, in inverted commas, that his sister mentions earlier and the fact that he's not, um, like, because he's not neurotypical in some way, he's more connected. Yeah, like maybe... Or more, like, like, empathetic more like, or... Yeah, like psychic. Um, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, so then... Um, so, they, yeah, she rescues Jason from the locker, but obviously, like we said, like he's a bit like, ugh, you're a bit weird now, I'm mm. scared of you, but then there's Huggy and fine. Um, <laughs> um, so then um, they get out of the fun house and get into the ambulance, um, and she has a final flashback um, to the therapist's office um, and uh, recalls the night she first met Red in the Hall of Mirrors. Um, and what actually happens in, in that situation, which is that the doppelganger chokes her unconscious, chains her into the underground, secretly takes her place above ground, so Adelaide becomes red, um, and vice versa. Mm. Um, it's strange that because it's like, I don't really know what, why that's important actually now I'm thinking about it, like, why is it, I mean, I guess it's the whole... Oh, it is important. It's very important, actually, because that's the reason why they have the uprising. It's because it's the, the literal whole plot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's important. Yeah, and also it's the idea that one of the tethered wasn't actually tethered and had a taste of what life looked like for those above ground. Yeah, um, I mean that's kind of strange in terms of the fact that she was able to leave um, the underground and come and see because you see her poking her head around the, the the building while Adelaide goes into the funhouse. Um, it's sort of strange that she doesn't have to mimic her in any way. Like, um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that the real Red yeah. was already very special, and it's not just because the new Red used to not be tethered that she's yeah. special. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure if you thought too deeply in, into it, you could pick some real holes in this, but... Oh, no, there's like I, a million holes. I mean, like, I, I'm really bothered by the fact they can recreate the outfits in the underground when they have no materials by the looks of things. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a Well, but saying that, when, uh, when we see the mirror of Adelaide winning the T-shirt, she's just handed a T-shirt. No, but it's got, like, weird, like, it looks like a kind of, like, like rubbishy version of it. Like, it's got, like, a kind of inky marks that look similar. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's, it's... I mean, also, where did they get, like, a, a million golden scissors and matching red outfits from? There's, like, a million holes in it, which I haven't bothered to talk about. <laughs> but, um, but, yes, you're right. If you, if you pull at it, it will fall apart. <laughs> yes. um, so, um, so, anyway, so then... Um, Not like the orphanage, which no, is completely which is foolproof. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of the end. But, I mean, like, yeah, they're driving away in the ambulance and um, they see all the doppelgangers holding hands in a massive human chain and, like, helicopters and smoke and stuff. Um, there's also the, the moment that we, I think we talked about within the last time that we see, like, um, Jason staring at Adelaide just kind of in a suspicious, or, or you thought it was, like, a loving way. Um, no, I thought it was a knowing way. Oh, knowing. That's so um and I think it's I think it's all of those things. I think yeah. it's scared, suspicious, and knowing. But also, um, I think the key point is that he puts his mask on. Yeah. And I, th- I wonder if there's some like, yeah, I know that you're wearing a mask as well, sort of yeah. thing. And it doesn't. That's, like, that's kind of why I meant when I said, "What's the point of it?" Is that like it doesn't really matter <laughs> that she's like. Ultimately, not because they were still raised by that woman. Yeah. Um, because it yeah. happened when she was a child. Yeah. But it matters to the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it matters to the other one, and it matters the whole plot. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the film, I'm not sure. Mm. So, on to representation. Representation. Um, uh, women. Yeah. Um... I think that this passes the Bechdel test. It does, um, yeah. The girls talk about... I mean, the girls talk about everything. <laughs> yeah, they also talk about, like... Um, it's weird, actually, their conversation on the beach. Because at first, uh, Adelaide's like, I don't really like talking. Yeah, that's but, what I mean. But, but, but then they do have a conversation. Because she's like, oh, you used to be great at dancing. You know, why don't you do that anymore? And she's just like, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, it's um, strange. I can't really figure out the relationship with the that family like I feel like it's kind of like laddie dads are friends so yeah. by extension the rest of them have to kind of hang out but I mean like this is like a one of the like most iconic recent like women led horrors I can think of yeah and she also played not only does she play one character she plays both characters exceptionally yeah. well yeah. like Lupita is Incredible. Yeah, she's iconic. She like is the best thing about this film. Yeah, I, but I th- I think like the the cast is brilliant. Like the the yeah. daughter is really great. She's also a really great character, and she um like she has like kind of her like special talent, which is just being like exceptionally fast. Mm. And like they kind of so I think you learn enough about the the, the women for it not to feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, and yeah. And yeah, the relationship between Red and Adele is really... Adele. Adele, Adele, yeah, no, uh, Adelaide is, um... I feel like they're always just chasing pavements. Yeah, absolutely. 
was going to try to do the voice again, but I'm scared I'll break myself. <laughs> it's quite difficult to maintain that voice. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, it's so... I mean, obviously she's an exceptionally talented actress, so this shouldn't be a surprise, but it, like for her to present two characters who are essentially the same person but in that are so different just in the way like the kind of facial tics yeah and the, the way they speak and the way they move like it's just she's like, yeah even the way that she holds her like face like like the expressions and stuff it's just incredible yeah um and yeah all of like yeah like red's like like weird broken dialogue is just like incredibly powerful like yeah it's the best yeah and also i think in terms of uh, like, I don't know, like, it's difficult to know who you're supposed to be rooting for, in a way. I mean, obviously, the Wilsons. Yeah, yeah. But also, with these readings about the tethered being kind of represented, the kind of disenfranchised, the forgotten about, the underprivileged. Yeah. Yet we're still being asked to root for the for the families that have it all, sort of thing. Yeah, that's um, true. But... The the character of Adelaide, who was previously read, yeah. um, her, like, even in spite of everything that's happening to her and has happened to her, she still has this huge capacity for loving the children of the yeah, tethered. Like, she still shows... And also, she has this really warm moment with Red as well. Like, yeah. that is... You know, you can tell that she's not gleefully killing her. no. She has this moment where she's laughing afterwards, but that's coming from a place of relief, I think. No, no, yeah, sure. um, and she still, like, she still recognizes the, you know, she's she's not like kind of gleeful about it. No, um, I think she's very well rounded. I think all the characters are very well rounded. Yes, beautiful. Love it. Um, in terms of race, yes. So obviously, it's very well well represented because the yes. the main uh, characters are all black. Yeah. Um, and they all play two roles. Yes. <laughs> um. But I guess in terms of, like, a race reading of this, like, I, I think when I watched it, I was expecting, for the first time, I was expecting this, the the narrative to be one about race. Yeah. In a very explicit way. And I think it is about race a, a little bit, but I don't think that's explicitly what the story is about. That's and right. I think this is just because I had Get Out in mind. Exactly, um, yeah. And... And then there's a lot of... When I first watched it, I was just like, am I missing something? Because is this about race or not? But I think, obviously, when you're talking about the disenfranchised, the underprivileged, the marginalised, the people who aren't afforded the same access to privileges and kind yeah. of uh, material things, then there is also that intersects with race as well. But I also wondered, and I don't think this occurred to me the first time I watched it, but just in terms of, like, the jumpsuits that they're wearing, is this film about prison abolition? Ah... <laughs> In which case, there's in the US, there's definitely still a, a real intersection with race there because of the disproportionate amount of people of colour who are in the prison system. But, like, because that red uh, outfit is essentially like an orange jumpsuit, jumpsuit yeah, from prison. Right. And they are imprisoned and they're kind of overthrowing their oppressors. Um, and oh, in their version oh. of what prison looks like, oh, it's um, yes. there's no room for them to have an opportunity beyond that, yes. which is essentially what one of the biggest criticisms about prison is, that it just breeds the same kind, because of the the kind of the appalling conditions in which uh, the prisoners are forced to live. Right. That it just breeds the same uh, kind of recidivism because that's the only way that they know how to exist because of that. Yes, so, yes. Um, 
So yeah, that this time that's definitely how I read it. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a really good reading. That's I'm surprised that didn't come up in my research actually. But yeah, I guess that people uh, prison abolition isn't popular amongst many people <laughs> in terms of a reviewer, like an affluent reviewer. Yeah. Um, and I think as well that makes things like all of the rabbits in cages. It just adds more and more meaning yes. to that sort of thing. Um, it, it the uh, the recurrence of handcuffs um, yes. and kind of yeah. I think there's there's a lot to it. Oh wow! Good mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the library is open. <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, um, disability, we're going to talk about Pluto. Yeah, so Pluto has a, and we've, we've spoken about the idea of like a disfigured face. Yeah. In in this case, it is like the result of a fire, isn't it? Like this is... Yeah, and it's part of his story, essentially. Yeah. Um, but aside from how he appears, I don't know if some of the ways that the tethered behave couldn't be read as a little bit problematic right um i mean i i think we'll i think we can assume that jason is not neurotypical sure um and that turns out to be a strength because it gives him more empathy it gives him a connection it helps them overcome ultimately he is like maybe the main hero in this maybe yeah, he does do a lot um, of good savings but i do worry well, I I wonder. I, basically, I don't know. Maybe well, I mean, obviously, we're not the right people to decide whether or not this is offensive or not because yeah. we're neither of us are disabled. But I feel like some of the I don't know. I don't know. I just it was something that just struck me this time, especially about the um, the dad character Abraham. Yeah, and perhaps Pluto as well. Like, right. there's an element of like, are these. But I, I don't know. What what is supposed to be monstrous about them? Is it that they yeah. can't like kind of function and communicate in the same way that we can or Yeah, it's not very clear. I mean she kind of refers like Red refers to them just uh the experiment being uh left and them going mad, um, in a kind of vague way. Just madness. Yeah. Um, so... Or I guess maybe just kind of like shells, because they don't have their own kind of autonomy or their own... souls. Yeah. She says. Yeah, I'm Um, sure there could be a really interesting reading about what that looks like from a kind of disabled lens, but I I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's interesting that you're saying that, actually, because one of the things, the the way that Lupita's, like, the the voice that she uses is actually um, specifically like a condition um, that can be caused by emotional trauma um, called spasmodic dysphonia um, that she mimicked from somebody who had that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. apparently. Um, So that's interesting as well if you're thinking about that in terms of just, yeah, I don't know whether that's problematic or not. Um, But also, if it's if it's a a condition that comes from trauma, then it kind of makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And also, presumably, because I think the way I read it when I first saw it was that the reason that she struggles to speak is because she hasn't needed to speak. It's the same way of, like, like her kind of mimicking how a a normal above-ground human would be walking. She's also kind of relearning how to speak after years of not needing to. Yeah, and actually that's (laughs) true, because she is the only one that can speak out of all of them. Um, and that's because, obviously, of her switcheroo, but then how yeah. she was able to speak, and she just didn't need to with the, the tablet on yeah. the ground. 
Yeah. Um, queer representation. No. So I have a queer reading of this. Go on. <laughs> so, and again, this is maybe clutching at straws, but that's normally what queer reading is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if we're thinking, and I think this is coming back to this idea of the nuclear family. Right. And it feels like, I don't know, I'm riffing here, like, maybe this is bullshit. Come on. But just this idea of these these people who are not afforded the same privileges as these kind of wholesome nuclear families above ground, having to take their own, having to live their own models of uh, kind of recreating their own systems and cultures in an underground sure. kind of way. Oh, yeah, I see. So, like, um, I mean, it's a reach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, it's, it's interesting with um, queer readings of things, because you can queer most things um, if you try it out enough. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, but I think um, it was interesting for you th- that you read because I kind of wrote down when we just watched it there what I thought the film was about this time around, and I actually said a lot of things that Jordan Peele said, which makes me feel very intelligent. No, it um, is, yes, no, yes. No, it um, which was the idea of like hiding collective trauma away, yeah, um, where it can't be seen, yeah, um, and not doing anything to re- repair it or correct it, but just being to forget about it. Sure, um, an idea of like the kind of the deficit model of human rights where it's like um the kind of scarcity of resources so like you can't have anything because that will mean i will have to have less and i think there was something about this uh these people who have everything and these people who have nothing and that doesn't necessarily need to be the model of how it should work um and then also the prisons thing that's what i took away but um but i also wonder uh, this is not to do with queer representation but i wonder about the symbolism of the spider so we see the spider briefly next to a toy spider. Yeah, I, I noticed that. But yeah, and also the so, the song that she's whistling at the beginning is "Incy Wincy Spider." Oh uh, yeah, and then she whistles it again at the end. Yeah, yeah, when she's like dying. Yeah, and I wonder. I can't remember what how the that song goes, but it's like climbs up the water spout. Uh, yeah. When the rain comes down, it washes the spider out. Yeah, Incy Wincy Spider. <laughs> I do remember it. You do. <laughs> very yeah, very slowly. I don't know. I, I I haven't really got beyond that, but it seems like maybe there's some symbolism there about. Yeah, because I was wondering. About oh, it's because it's about a spider trying to keep climbing, but keeps getting flushed. Down. Flushed. Up. So it's about kind of like not being able to get to that higher level, higher yeah. plane, sort of thing. Yeah, because I was thinking about that with the kind of like um, with the toy spider and the real spider, and that kind of like being like there's one real spider and one fake spider, essentially. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I could have imagine I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. Lovely queer spider. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do the awards? Yes, the awards. I got five. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We got I'm seven on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who was your favourite character? Um, uh, well, uh, we joked about it earlier in the film, but it didn't come the to owl. pass. <laughs> yes, the owl in the fun house. The owl in the fun house is mine as well. Uh, what do you think was the spookiest moment? Uh, I think the fun house doppelganger moment was my spookiest. At the beginning? No, like, well, just the kind of hinting at it all the way through where it's like a really slow reveal. Yeah, yeah. I think that the 
scariest moment is when you first see the family on the drive and they just stood there. Um, I think that's like a really iconic moment from the film. Yeah. And then also the bit where she clicks and they all scatter. Yeah, that bit's really um, good. And also, I think her initial movement, the way that she walks really creeps me out. Yeah, yeah. And also when they're in the classroom at the end, just before their dance-off, uh, where she walks backwards. Like, oh, I, there's something yeah, about these, like, kind yeah. of jerky, juttery movements that really yeah. get me going. Get me going. Oh, they do. Uh, what was your lols bit? Uh, so, yeah, I already talked about it, so, but it's just like, um, when Jason says, why don't you kiss my anus? <laughs> <laughs> like a southern belle. Yes, um, like a southern belle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ma'am, would you like to try a little bit of my anus? <laughs> um, I'll just have to lift up my petticoats. <laughs> you want to see what's in my pocketbook? <laughs> um, I had two funniest bits. Uh, the one is where she asks Ophelia to play, uh, to call the police and they play fuck the police. But also shortly after that where they're sat round in the Tyler's house watching yeah. TV and the camera pans out and you see that they're all sat round the coffee table that the body of the, uh, the twin is just lying on. Um, <laughs> that was funny. What do you think is the best death? Uh, I think um, for me it has to be, well, I think the battle leading up to the death at the end with uh, Red and Adelaide um, is just iconic. I think the death itself, I mean, is the accumulation of the, the, the fight. Mm. Um, but, I, yeah. I think so as well, that's my favourite. But I also think that the death itself is brilliant because that creepy whistling that she's doing uh, yeah, and then that last yeah. little kind of break of the neck, Breaking like, neck. yeah, and, and the kind of closeness of it, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's very good. Worst death? Uh, so I said probably Tyler's dad because... You know, Tyler's dad. Ty- no, the Tyler's but... family dad. Because <laughs> okay. um, uh, you don't see it, like you don't know what happens. There's just like a flare and then they have a tussle in the boat. And then yeah. That's it. Yeah, agreed. Um, Did you have a queerest moment? Well, I just thought it was kind of like the, 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 the Red and Adelaide sort of holding each other seemed sort of, you know, sort of tender in a kind of way. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's a stretch to call it queer, really. Yeah, well, I, I would have said that as well. And I also think the relationship between Pluto and Jason when they're mm. sat in the little cupboard together oh, yeah. and kind of like um, it's a bit like you show me your stuff yeah! <laughs> right? like the oh, lifting yeah. up of the masks the there's something really like tender about their connection there as well oh yeah the other thing I was like um, with Abigail and Red just like before they Abigail <laughs> Abigail what's wrong with you um, so yeah Adele Abigail and Adelaide um, uh, no so um Adelaide, um, when uh, she, like, she's the red talking to her, and she says, "Like I often think about that time that we met when we first met, and I, I didn't understand why you couldn't have taken me with you." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of yeah, yeah, cute and romantic, possibly." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, sex- sexiest. Uh, so I, I don't think it's. F- I mean, obviously, Lupita is objectively very sexy, but I don't think so in this film. No, but. Um, the dad at the beginning uh, was. That's right, is it? 
<laughs> and the thing is, though, you barely even see his face, but he's just got a very nice gait and he's yeah, got a very nice bod. Nice, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I don't know, yeah, it just seems like kind of sexy. Yeah. And so probably a bit wrong that he's like drunk and they're sort of hinted at being a bit problematic, but it's just hot. It's nice to look at. <laughs> yeah. Um... So, pumpkins. Pumpkins! How many pumpkins out of five? I got five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, like, I I was struggling. Like, I guess, like, four point five? I don't know. Like, I love it so much. So, I really, really, I think I said this when we did the orphanage as well. I really, really didn't want to be over generous in this, yeah. but I can't find a good reason not to give it five pumpkins. I'll give you five pumpkins. Why, yeah, you want <laughs> A bunch of five pumpkins. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, where do you think it rates compared to Get Out? I mean, they're very different films, oh. but they're. Um, oh, God, I don't know. I guess if I was comparing, I think. The thing is, I haven't rewatched Get Out and all like since it was out, so I need to do that probably mm. before I could say. But at the time, I loved Get Out, and I was a little—I felt like a little bit disappointed when I saw this at the cinema. Weirdly, um, second watching, I don't know why, but um, but it might have been that I was comparing it to Get Out, which I did love. love, love. You see, I think I had a, a slightly different response when I saw Us, and it, I think it's because. I get out was so brilliant yeah. that um, that I expected us to be a disappointment, and because I loved it so much, I was just like, "Oh my god, this was even better!" Oh, really? <laughs> but I, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, they're very different films. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, they are both like absolutely at the top of the game in terms of horror, and yeah. in terms of like, and also just in terms of like, it's very rare when like a film horror film comes along and you think it's kind of redefined the genre. And I think both of these films did it. The yeah. only other example I can think of recently is It Follows. Um, that was like a genre defining kind of where it just changed the game a bit, and mm. and also like just in terms of like the the influence this film has already had on other films. Just thinking about the soundtrack. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, I just think it's like genre defining. So I feel like I couldn't possibly give it any less than five because I can't pick any holes with it. Well, I mean, I think there are loads of plot holes if you start digging down into it. But I mean, it doesn't take away from its enjoyability, yeah. essentially. So, um, so yeah, like, I'm reluctant to give a five. I feel like I'll, I'll, I'll need to save that. <laughs> oh, now you feel like I'm being too... Okay, I'll, I'll give it four and a half then, because the, okay. the Orphanage is legitimately my favourite film, okay. so of course that was going to be five. So, okay, four and a half pumpkins. Okay, okay. How many for you? Four and a half? Yeah, I think so. Okay, few. Few. Let's <laughs> come to a consensus there for some reason. <laughs> It's time for the spooky bit. Um, so, oh. given... <laughs> Don't find me. <laughs> so, given the, um, the, the th- one of the themes of uh, us, uh, I thought we'd talk about doppelgangers. <gasps> um, so, doppelgangers exist in most cultures. But the most commonly understood version of the doppelganger is that if you see your own doppelganger, meaning someone that looks exactly like you, uh, if you see them multiple times, it means that you're going to die. Oh, no. I know. And the most famous person to have apparently seen his own death through a doppelganger is Abraham Lincoln. Oh. 
Um, so apparently... It's got quite a unique look, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, so apparently he didn't just see someone like pootling by that looked like him. He saw, he looked in the mirror, in a single mirror, and saw two reflections of himself in the same mirror. Um, and his wife uh, believed that this meant that he was going to be killed in his second term as president. Um, shortly after he'd seen the two reflections in a single mirror, he was assassinated in his box, as it were. Anyway, he was assassinated in his box <laughs> at the Ford's Theatre in Washington. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, two lesser-known stories. Uh, one is about a young man who was sent to a neurologist. And this neurologist uh, was known for trying Not to... an f- old neurologist. <laughs> no, <laughs> a brand neurologist. <laughs> um, and he specialised in trying to find scientific explanations for seemingly paranormal experiences. Um, and this, uh, this young man had experienced the following. So he'd stopped taking his anticonvulsant medication. So he had uh, epilepsy, I think. Okay. Um, and one day he was hungover and he... St- he woke up, got out of bed, and uh, he didn't want to be late for work, and he was feeling a bit groggy and hungover. And he looked back and saw himself lying in his bed. Ugh. Yes. Um, and he obviously freaked out a bit, uh, kind of was shaking himself and oh trying gosh. to wake him up, but he wouldn't wake up. Um, but his uh, his consciousness kept shifting between himself and the doppelganger. So sometimes he would experience him being in bed and having his doppelganger trying to wake him up. And at other points, and in order to try and stop this, he jumped from his bedroom window um, from the fourth floor. Um, but he survived. He landed in a hazel bush. Please welcome to the stage, <laughs> Hazel Bush. The saviour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, with her big catching arms. Um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, and he was very, very like explicit that he hadn't been trying to kill himself. He was just trying to end this, Psychotic. this moment. Wow. Um, Ooh. and shortly, so he, while, while he was in hospital and treated for, uh, sort of very minor injuries that he had, they discovered a tumor on his left temporal oh. lobe. Um, and he had that removed. And as soon as that was removed, his seizures stopped. And so did any bizarre experiences. Oh. Um, there is another one which is a bit more difficult to explain, uh, but it was quite similar. Um, and um, actually, both of these are similar to out-of-body experiences, mm. where which normally happens when, happen when people are being like operated on or something, and yes. they kind of float above astral um, projection. Yeah, they kind of float above the, the scene, and they can recall things that happened during the uh, the surgery that they have. There's no reason why they would know that because they were right. unconscious or whatever. Um, and uh, there is one doctor who found a way that he could replicate uh, the effects of an out-of-body experience by stimulating parts of the brain, oh. um, which sounds terrifying and something that I would not like to experience. I don't want um, No, not for me, thank you. No. Um, keep it. Keep it. Um, <laughs> doctor Stinky Bum. You old <laughs> so another man called Chris... <gasps> had a similar experience to the one I've just uh, spoken about, but this was fo- very shortly following uh, the death of his brother, David, who died from AIDS-related illnesses. Um, so similarly, he woke from his bed and got up, and he turned to see himself in his bed, much like the other guy did, yeah. um, 
but his wife was also in the bed. Um, uh, she was really there. This wasn't like a vision. <laughs> um, and he said, this is a quote, he said, my first thought was that I had died. I'm dead and this is the first step. But during this, the phone rang and he answered the phone and he heard his brother David, who was dead, oh. saying hello. And he instantly knew it was him. And he said he didn't have much time to talk, but he wanted to let him know that he was okay and to let his family know that he was okay. Oh. Um, and then um, Chris felt, and this is a quote, an enormous sucking sensation. <laughs> and he was like... Around his box? <laughs> And then he was assassinated in his box. Um, and then he was dragged or thrown back uh, to his bed. And the two became one. Two became one. And then his wife woke to find him kind of hysterical and screaming. Um, and he says that he has a very... He's reflected on this and he says he's got a very scientific mind. He always tries to find logical explanations of things. But he can't think of any other reason why that happened apart from the fact that his brother was reaching yeah, out to him. to get that ghost phone call, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the ghost phone call. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, that's... Have you ever had a doppelganger experience? Yeah, I mean, everyone in East London has a beard and short hair, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time I see Victoria Beckham, <laughs> I think, is that me? Am I going to die? <laughs> every time I see the most beautiful person... <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, it's just a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Mary. Bloody Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> <Bloody Kathy. laughs> if you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends.